0: Today begins a new uh, series. We are stepping into a summer series, so for the next nine months, uh, excuse me, <laughs> That sounds like a birthing process. No, for the next nine weeks, we will be studying God's word from Genesis or Galatians chapter five verses 22 and 23. And the title of the series is "Fruit of the Spirit." All right, this is going to date me, but I remember in the early 70s uh, there was a television show on nutrition. We had four networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, and KET. Okay? You remember that? And uh, there was a show entitled Mulligan Stew. Martha, do you remember that one? Okay, you don't remember that. Anybody remember Mulligan Stew? Thank you, John. John was among the educated on KET. And uh, it was a show, looking back, rather hokey and corny, but it focused uh, on nutrition. And so basically, through song and drama, they did teaching on food groups and the importance of wellness related to diet. And it was called Mulligan Stew. And, And I remember... A phrase that has been used since, uh, one of the phrases they used was, fruit can do the body good. Fruit can do the body good. And and I think spiritually for us, that is true on an individual level. And it's also true on a collective level. And in this scripture, and I want us to look at verse 25 uh, and 26 um, of the passage that she read for us. Excuse me, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. We're going to talk about that today. Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Um, And it's interesting that the Greek word is singular. It's not fruits of the Spirit, it is fruit of the Spirit. And how, in a unified fashion, All of these characteristics are connected to a whole, that being the Spirit. And so we're going to take a look at those characteristics, but let's take a look at the context. The context has to do with Paul writing the church at Galatia. And it is in the midst of dissension and brokenness and division. In fact, he even says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So he's gone through this list of characteristics of the spirit, and he says, be careful not to provoke one another in wrong ways. And one of the major themes that surfaces is freedom. Galatians 5, 1 says, it was for freedom that you've been set free. And the kinds of freedoms he is describing, one is freedom from the power of sin. The power of canceled sin. In other words, there's forgiveness and then there's the power over sin. The things of the flesh, he would say, in contrast to the things of the spirit. And then freedom from the law is a measuring stick. He was saying while the law has been helpful and while the law points us to something greater, i.e. Christ, we'll never cross all the T's. We'll never dot all the I's. We're going to come up short in our moral behavior, in our thinking. And so he's saying this freedom is over the power of sin. This freedom is over the uh, freedom from the law of Uh, the law being a measuring stick, and then freedom to let Christ live in us by the power of the Spirit. And so the author is attempting to show this troubled group of believers that simply obeying the law is not our justification, but our justification comes in the work of Christ, and we simply respond to that, living a life of obedience out of a life desiring to be pleasing unto God. And there are two truths about this fruit of the Spirit and these nine characteristics. And one is that you can't earn them. It's not based on effort. And the other, it's not based on works righteousness. And the other is, it is centered on a relationship. It has to do with abiding. That the best produce comes from an ever-deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. And so... This produce comes and is nurtured and cultivated as we draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there, there's a variety of fruit, and there's a natural outgrowth that comes from the plant. What we would call it is nature's dessert. I mean, fruit is awesome, isn't it? I mean, in most cases, it's sweet. In Weight Watchers, it counts zero points. I just want to say that. I mean, there are a lot of benefits to, to fruit. And in this context, Paul is saying this fruit being matured in you and developed in you and grown in you as characteristics of Christ is good for you, okay, on a personal level. But he's also saying on a corporate level, That fruit is good for the body, the body of Christ. That these are community virtues. Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers, were called to be free. And do not use our freedom to indulge the sinful nature or the flesh, but rather, in this liberty, in this freedom, love." and serve one another. Serve one another in love. The entire law, Jesus said, could be summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says don't keep biting and devouring each other. Watch out. Don't destroy one another in your conceitedness and provoking and divisiveness and your envy. We're in community, and so these fruit of the spirit have to do with our holiness on an individual level, but it also has to do with our sanctification as a group of people, the church, and how we relate to the community. And so I want to start with this first one. I wanted to introduce the series. Now I want to start with this first one. And love—it's such an ethereal word. It's—it's—it's—it—it it is lofty, and we've talked about it a lot, and we use it in our culture. Flippantly, oh, I just love that flavor of ice cream. (laughs) Or I'm in love with this person. But Paul sneaks up on the Galatians and those in the New Testament by using a word that was not common for them. It was used, but not common. And that is a word we've described before, agape. Agape is described as unconditional. It is not contingent on one's personal performance, or identity, or desirability. And so the qualities of agape is a love based on unconditional love. And when you think about this, this is the kind of love that God had for us. It is a willful love. It is not based on an inclination or just a feeling. And it is sacrificial. It costs something. It's not just something you give. It's something you give up. So think about this a minute. Is that not Christ to us? He was gracious and merciful. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the Scripture says. And so it was unconditional. No matter who we are, Christ said, I love you. It was willful. It wasn't based on how he was feeling that day on Golgotha, on Calvary. And he paid it all, as the old hymn says. Jesus paid it all. So he didn't just give us something, he gave up something. And in a wonderful and eloquent way, Paul describes this concept of agape love in 1 Corinthians and you've heard it many times, probably at wedding ceremonies, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious. It is not boastful. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no wrong record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It protects It trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. And then he sums up part of that text by saying, and now the three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. It's no mistake. I don't believe it's an error or a consequence. Uh, coincidence, excuse me, that Galatians 22 and 23 describes the fruit of the Spirit, these characteristics of Christ that should be developed in us, and Paul starts with love. If, if, if you don't have love, the rest are simply techniques to be used to navigate circumstances. And in people's lives. And while that is helpful, if one's motives aren't in love, to have forbearance and long-suffering and self-control, Paul tells us you're nothing more than really a clanging bell. And so love is the foundation And our need for understanding the love of God is critical to being successful in these characteristics that we're going to journey through. John thirteen one, as Brenda read for us, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Um. Oh, how we need God. I was watching an African-American pastor preaching to a um, multiracial congregation since the racial unrest has really stirred recently. And he was rather bold. He looked out over the congregation, very diverse congregation, a grouping of people, and he said, You know what the problem is? The problem is you. Now, the problem's a little bit with me, he said, in a humorous way. He said, The problem is you. The problem is all of us. We need God more than ever before. And, and we need to be desperate for God because we are so broken. And what we have watched is the fallenness of humanity. And, and I think he's right. I think it can go back to the flesh. It's a matter of sin. It's a matter of missing the more. You know, one of the things I love is that you can take, and we're going to do this each week, to take one of these characteristics and find that Jesus modeled that for us. That's what these are, Christ-like characteristics. And so we find that he did get up from the table and he had a towel and a basin. And he taught us not only theologically, a basin, towel theology, he modeled servanthood because the ones who would clean feet were usually servants. And Jesus said, I am, Peter, I need to wash your feet. You'll remember Peter's like, no way, you're not going to wash my feet. He said, I said, I need really to wash your feet, for that has to do with righteousness and love, and well then wash my whole body, Jesus. If you've ever been a part of a foot washing, anybody ever been a part of a foot washing? That is a sacramental moment. That is a very visceral, moment a humbling moment and, and I remember at the church where I served before we we did it as part of a a study on the life of Christ, and I remember washing feet, and then my feet were washed, and i got to tell you, you know feet are not the most- part, attractive part of the body. you know what I saying? the grimy, nasty awkward looking. Right, and so I asked him this question, and and I want to say that the movement of the Spirit just came over all of us. There was a sense in which God was right there. It was mystical. It was powerful. We got a better understanding of how Christ loved His disciples, how God loves us, and how we could enter into love in a moment through this awesome act. It was incredible. And I remember asking some of them after it was over, I was like, "What's what were on the feeling level? What were some of the things you felt?" You know, one person said. You know, uh, gratitude. Uh, one young mother said, "I felt like I needed a pedicure." <laughs> but it, it was a holy moment, and I think what what made it a holy moment was it lives up to agape. It's an act that was unconditional, willful. And giving up something. You know, and that's the kind of love I think that God is calling us to have during these days. Um, what does love look like? Uh, uh, Feeney, you remember Feeny? We served in an area called Albany, Georgia, Darty County, Georgia, at Avalon United Methodist Church, and there was a, a mother there, and she had um, been raising, um, her husband died of cancer, and she had been raising a handicapped son. She had other children, but uh, he was severely handicapped, and, and she was caring for him, and and she told me a powerful story of her feelings of inadequacy and wanting to make sure that she did it right. And one day at the end of a service, uh, a worship service, she just felt the movement of the Spirit, and she she was caught up in all the emotions of having this handicapped child, taking him to physical therapy, taking him to specialists, caring for him. Putting him in the wheelchair, and and she just felt this inadequacy, and so she went to the altar and she just wept, and and she said, God, I I don't I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm equipped to do this. I don't know if I have what it's going to take. And she heard the Lord speak to her and say, Feeny, all I need you to do is to love this child. That's the only qualification. If you would just love this child, it's going to be okay. It was an unconditional moment for her. It was a willing moment. And for the rest of her life, she has given up, sacrificially. But there's great joy in that love for her. What does love look like? I, I'll tell you an example of love that that wasn't real popular. Um, Carrie Sue, my mother-in-law, she died four years ago this summer. And she was my biggest fan. She was great. It's always good to have a mother-in-law that thinks you're something, isn't it? Because that's not always the case. And so... Um, uh, Carrie Sue, Tennessee, raised in Grundy County, Tennessee, Tracy City, got her college education, um, went on to get a master's, and taught in the public school in Marion County, Tennessee, which is near Chattanooga. And uh just a phenomenal woman of God. And generous in so many ways. And she lived in this small town in Tennessee called South Pittsburgh, South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, and uh, interesting name, but and it was near Jasper, and, and she was a teacher in the school system, and 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 she was colorblind. It didn't matter who you were, uh, whether Latino, Hispanic, or black. And yet she had been raised so differently. She had been raised on the mountain. And on the mountain there were no black people. And there were vows that there would never be. You with me? And and yet she moved past that. And she developed a friendship with Miss Virginia. And Miss Virginia was African American. And they would do things together. And but you gotta understand now, there was a black pool and a white pool. Even in the seventies. And there was a black section of town and there was a white section of town. And yet Kerseo didn't care. She crossed that line and she'd go visit with Virginia on Virginia's front porch. And Virginia would visit her. And when one of them was sick, they'd take a covered dish to the other. Unlikely friends. But they loved each other. People didn't understand. Advised them to do differently. Differently. But love prevailed. Carrie Sue developed, uh, dementia and, uh, Alzheimer's. And, uh, we were in Macon, Georgia. We were caring for her. And Virginia's son gave Delia a call and said, My mother wants to come see Carrie Sue. And, Virginia and her son came to the door and Carrie Sue came out of her room and the dementia didn't matter. They picked up where they left off. That's what love looks like That is agape love. Both God-fearing women, one African-American, one white, but so transformed that they tore down the walls of the culture to care for each other. Agape love is unconditional. It's willing. And it gives up. Sacrificially, even when other people don't understand. I need more of that fruit of the Spirit, that characteristic of the Spirit. I would say we all do. Part of our confession is letting go. Turning away from the things of the flesh, the envy, the prejudice, the fear, and stepping toward freedom. That's what love will do for us. It casts out fear. Let's pray together.